Thursday, March 19th, 3.14 p.m. A judge declared a mistrial today in a Merced County murder case because the partner of one of the detectives on the case has tested positive for COVID-19 and another has been taken to the emergency room with symptoms, according to an attorney on the case. Defense attorney Alex Martin says the judge put it on the record that every Merced police officer must now be tested. The judge is now going into self-quarantine, and so is the attorney. The jury of 18 people was also told to go into quarantine. Martin believes the Merced County Public Defender's Office and the DA's Office are all now exposed. So are the three co-defendants in the murder trial. Corin Hoggard, ABC 30. The test came back negative. So my daughter, a public defender in Merced County, does not have the coronavirus. She ran a fever, coughing, shortness of breath, the big three, but not too big. She got tested right away because the infected detective was in Katie's office when Katie was, and because, like, you know, fighting for justice and all that essential services kind of stuff. Got to have court, got to have justice. And uh, it turns out she's sick. But with something less dramatic than this big virus thing that's all the rage all of a sudden. Strangely, what sounds like good news, you don't have the plague, is actually a bit disappointing. Not only for the loss of drama... You see, we had kind of hoped that escaping with a not exactly mild but uh, tolerable case of the virus would mean she'd be immune from here on. Especially critical with Katie's work in the public space of the courts. So, instead of her actually having coronavirus, which would have been good news, now we have to be worried again that she might get coronavirus, which is bad news. What strange days when the unknown is far more threatening than the known. Two birds in the bush, much more dangerous than one you hold in your hand. Or maybe it's always that way. So do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay, the old mailbag's starting to fill up. I'll just uh, grab a couple at random here from this huge pile of mailbags that they dropped off at my house this morning. Neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor global pandemic stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. Okay, let's see. Dear Soul Food, Jeremy and I don't watch movies anymore much. By the time we have the gang of kids in bed, we are ready to pass out and maybe have the ability to watch one Seinfeld episode. I loved Cinema Paradiso. Not into anything scary at all or sci-fi. Any recommendations? Feels like we haven't seen a good movie forever. How are you? Enjoying being a grandpa? 
Getting lots of time to read and do meaningful things with life on pause for a bit right now. Talk soon. Sherry in Caslow, British Columbia. Dear Sherry in Caslow, British Columbia. Well, Amelie is a wonderful, creative, whimsical film with a touching human story. And Foreign, much beloved by millions of people, all of which could be said of Cinema Paradiso. So, you know, that's one. Ah, Tender Mercies is a much more sparse kind of movie. Minimal dialogue, very understated. The characters are prairie people who don't say much about things which is not really much like Cinema Paradiso, but something tells me it might really appeal to you. Maybe be partly of your, maybe partly because of your uh, rural connections. It's also a movie with faith at the center, though not in the least bit mawkish or cliche. So maybe I'm thinking particularly about Jer here. There's something no-nonsense and unsentimental about the film and the characters, and I think he might really appreciate that. Also happens to be my personal favorite film of all time. Uh, okay, one other might be Groundhog Day. Really funny, really charming, really sweet. Also beloved by about 13 trillion people. And lots of people might not see it, but I also happen to think it's profoundly spiritual, though not in any like particularly religious way. Okay, I think those are three pretty good recommendations, if I do say so myself. If you've seen all those, or if they don't appeal to you, or if you have something more specific in mind, or if you use all those ones up, don't be shy to write to me again. That's soulfood at ronree.org. I love hearing from you, and uh, if you do end up watching them up there in Caslow, British Columbia, drop me a line, tell me how you like them.
was Sherry Platt and Sail Away from her record The Road to My Family. You can get it at the Eisenhower's website. One word, the Eisenhower's. E-I-S-E-N-H-A-U-E-R-S. They don't make this easy on a guy. Why couldn't they just be called the Platts with two T's? Okay, reaching down into the old mailbag again. Uh, oh, it's something from that brash and callow young upstart Kenton Clawson. Hey, Ron, not saying you're an old fart or anything, but assuming that I am more likely to survive a COVID infection than you are, please let me know if I can go on any risky ventures for you and Carol, grocery shopping, etc., Happy to lend a hand if you'd prefer to stay at home. Your young friend, etc. Jerk. But a nice jerk. Okay, one more uh, note from Soul Food listener Irene Funk. Well, it looks like Irene's the first Soul Food podcast listener to take a stab at our Name That Sound Cue contest. She has a guess about where we used that uh, piece of music from Nelson Boschman. Irene writes, Thank you for your podcast. It was so great. Well done. I recognized the music from Pacific Theater Plays. I was immediately transported to the theater. That song sounds like a cliffhanger type of music. I think it's been used more than once. But my guess is that it was used at the end of Act One of Best of Enemies. Well, Irene, I'm so glad it transported you to the theater. That, If that's the only thing our Soul Food podcast accomplishes, our time's been well spent. And that is a good guess. Definitely, that's a cliffhanger type tune, perfect for the dramatic end of an act. But... No, that little bass figure was not used in Best of Enemies, I'm afraid. Uh, act one of that show ended something like this. I'm going teeth all the way. I'm going teeth all the way. You can't stop me. Sometimes I have to steal away Sometimes I have to cry out Help me, Lord And I know if I hold my peace The Lord will take care of me I'm going to Jesus I'm going to Jesus All the way If you love him, just clap your hands If you love him, just clap your hands If you need him, just clap your hands Come on and just clap your hands Come on That's Lonnie Delisle at the Hammond Organ with singers from the Universal Gospel Choir. Especially recorded for our production of Best of Enemies. Recorded by the inimitable, the versatile, the ever-present Rick Colhoun. 
who also did all that clapping. Lonnie and his choir raised the rafters a couple years back in our production of Lucas Nath's play, The Christians. You know, it's a week ago tomorrow that we posted the first Soul Food podcast, leading with a piece by Dalen O'Connell, a theater artist from the Twin Cities area in Minnesota. Thought they were all Norwegians and Swedes back there. Dalen O'Connell and his wife Ashley. That sounds a bit more Irish, don't you think? Well, in any case, it was uh, a piece that, that Dalen wrote that really gave me the idea for at least the title for this podcast. Dalen wrote, In the theater we have a tradition. Whenever the theater's empty, we're always sure to leave one light on typically on a stand in the center of the stage. This light is known as the ghost light. When I told my Pacific Theater pal Julia Lank about Dalen's post, she got kind of excited. She's the kind of person who gets excited about ideas. That's probably why she's such a pal. That, and she likes movies. Anyhow, that reminded her of something really important to her. So I asked Julia to tell us a little bit about it. And I figured I'd save it for Friday evening, after sunset. The first time someone described a ghost light the single lamp left on in a dark theater when every human is left for the night to me. I got excited. Excited like when you're in a foreign country and you hear a familiar piece of music, or when you run into a friend you've been thinking about but didn't expect to cross paths with. Oh, I said, theaters have ne'er-to-meets. There's a ne'er-to-meet, an eternal light in English, in every synagogue. It represents the light that burned in the first temple in Jerusalem, which, if you're not familiar with Judaism, was pretty much the Wrigley Field of temples. It was destroyed by infidels quite frequently in BCE times, and we Jews are always trying to sneak little bits of it back into the diaspora. We build tributes to it, run services dedicated to different acts of worship that could only be performed in the Holy of Holies at its center try so, so hard to go back to that place where we felt safe and sanctified, free to gather and worship as a people without fear. And the most central and simple aspect of Solomon's temple is the Nertamid, the light of truth. These days, Nertamid take all kinds of forms. If you saw a bar mitzvah boy at Pacific Theatre, you might have seen Carolyn Rapinos's beautiful, wavy, electric light design. I was in a synagogue a few years ago looking at an ertamid that was made in the image of an oil lamp so that it flickered and danced in a copper bowl. I asked the rabbi, why design the light to flicker? We know it's not a real oil lamp. This is the 21st century. It's meant to be eternal. Wouldn't it make more sense to have a strong, steady presence than one that looks as though it might go out at any moment? If you're talking to a Jewish person about religion and you feel stuck, ask a question. It will never get you in trouble. She said, It flickers because our faith isn't a constant. It's infinitely malleable and infinitely changing. 
the promise of the Ner Tamid isn't that it will never burn low or that the oil will never sputter. Sometimes you may barely be able to see it over the edge of the bowl. The promise is that it will never go out completely. So look around for your ghost lights and your sacred flames, whatever form they take or whatever unexpected shapes they change into. May we return to them safely to find that they have held our spaces safe for us. And may we keep our end of their covenant. A brand new tune, specially written for our podcast by Spencer Capier. Tune's called Ghost Light. Stay safe, stay observant, and may God be with you. You know who said that? Last night around midnight? Bob Dylan. Yeah, he released his first new tune in eight years last night. It's called Murder Most Foul. You can find that on the YouTubes. Stay safe, stay observant, and may God be with you. I like that in a time of pandemic. From that good Jewish boy, Robert Zimmerman. And no, I'm not talking about the guy on CBC Radio. Somebody else released a new piece of music today. I heard him first at a concert at St. James Hall. Quite a few years back when I went to hear Sherry and Jer play. I discovered a new favorite that night. Here's Zach Pick's new one, Lighter Side of Blue. Keep a spirit up with a hole in my pocket and a broken guitar All the people I met All the times that they said Can you play something happy? We could all sing along But I can't pretend no I I don't know what I'm so down about I keep trying Come on now Every night when I'm singing Moving closer to the lighter side of blue 
to the lighter side of blue. Nobody says it out loud, but there's a comfort in the quiet of a darkened house. When the ghost comes around, guess I'm living with an eye. I don't listen when it howls, I just turn the music up and I drown it out. No, I, I don't know what I'm so down about. I keep trying. Come on out Every night when I'm singing Moving closer to the lighter side of blue To the lighter side What the hell is wrong with me? For all the light I cannot see A dark cloud hanging over all I do And I wonder if I'll ever make it through To the lighter side of blue yourself a copy of that at Zach's website, zackpick.com, Z-A-A-C-Pick.com. Well, as I'd say on my beloved Men in Blazers football podcast, we got a packed show tonight. Here's one last thing I want to cram in just because it's all about March 27th. And it's all about stuff like what's going on now. These are excerpts from a really great podcast that my friend Karen turned me on to, 99% Invisible. Check out the whole episode, number 395, at their website. It's called This is Chance. Late in the afternoon of March 27th, Jeannie was driving her 13-year-old son to a bookstore downtown. It was Good Friday and lots of people had already gone home from work. For the Easter weekend. A banner across 4th Avenue advertised that weekend's opening at Frank Brink's Theater. They were doing the Thornton Wilder play, Our Town. 
curtain was going to go up at 8 o'clock, but at 5.36. Jeannie's first thought when her car started bucking at the red light was that she must have blown a tire. But then, through the windshield, she saw people knocked down in the street. She saw a line of parked cars at the gas station slam together, then separate, then slam again. She watched them fold in and out and thought, it's like a grotesque accordion. Later, one man would say it felt like the earth was whipping the city around like a dog shaking an animal he's killed. Buildings listed off their foundations. The huge ground waves moved through the asphalt like the roads were liquid. At the J.C. Penney building, a school kid stuck in the elevator watched a book suddenly levitate off the elevator floor and hang weightless in midair in front of him. For a split second, it was like he was in orbit, and that's when he knew the elevator was falling. Jeannie rounded a corner and saw the whole impossible panorama. One entire side of 4th Avenue had just dropped. For two blocks, everything was 12 or 15 feet lower in a ravine that had opened under half the street. And the crazy part was buildings were still intact down there. Cars were still perfectly parked next to their meters. Men looked up from outside a bar a dozen feet underground like stunned miners. And still hanging there over the street like a cruel caption over this surreal wreckage was the theater banner that read, Our Town. The quake had knocked Jeannie's radio station off the air, but now the static on the transistor radio she was carrying suddenly gave way to music. It meant KENI was back. An engineer started talking, and Jeannie grabbed the radio unit in her car and cut in. Go ahead, Jeannie. She was surprised later when people told her she sounded calm. It has become obvious that the earthquake that struck Anchorage less than an hour ago is a major one. We urge each and every one of you to seek shelter, check your emergency supplies, and plan to keep your homes closed as much as possible so that you can retain the heat. Check your neighbors, see if they have transistor radios. If they don't, possibly they could move in with you and share one for the night. It seems like it's going to be a long, cold night for Anchorage, so prepare to batten down the hatches and stay tuned to KENI. There'd only been about an hour between the quake and nightfall, and with the power out and snow falling through a thick fog in the dark, there was no way for everyone to tell just how badly their world had been jumbled. The feeling of vulnerability, of total dislocation, was hard to describe. As one guy put it, You don't know if anyone else is alive. Maybe you are the last man. So it was comforting to hear another voice start talking to you. You know, I uh, went for a walk late this afternoon around my neighborhood. And uh, in the first five minutes, I saw one person with their dog who moved to the other side of the road as I approached. And that was it. 20-minute walk. And I didn't see a single soul. Didn't see a car drive by. There was yellow 
emergency tape or whatever you call that stuff on the equipment in the playground. Nobody around. And I started feeling like I'd stumbled into one of my own plays, the top 10,000 of all time, or uh, Remnant. I was kind of relieved to notice that uh, there don't seem to be any zombies in this particular apocalypse. I'm down with that. I think zombies kind of wrecked the whole post-apocalyptic thing, don't you? Yeah. I kind of like my apocalypses kind of lonely and quiet and eerie. You know, it's been a hell of a week at Pacific Theater, my home theater company. We'd already closed shows, closed our offices, tried to figure out what happens to theater when nobody can come to the theater. I often thought of Steve Martin. Hey, I can do this show alone. I often do. But this week it was cash flow projections. How long will the money hold out with no shows? Figuring out if we can make it to September. How we can get to September. What terrible decisions do we need to get us there more or less intact? Just in case anybody can open a theater in September, which of course nobody knows, but, you know, hypothetically... And you know, we did it. We worked it out. We found ways. I mean, sure, more potential bad news came in toward the end of today, but, well, that bad thing won't actually happen till Tuesday evening, if it happens. So meanwhile, don't worry about next Tuesday. Next Tuesday will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And eventually the little theater resumed its production of Our Town, too. One of the actors told me that after the quake, whenever a restaurant in Anchorage reopened or a church held a mass, there was never an empty seat, he said. Everyone wanted to be with someone else. And there was something especially poetic about the sold-out crowd at the theater that first night. Because that kind of togetherness is basically what Thornton Wilder's play is about. It's a play about daily life in a small town, the deaths and marriages, tragedies, births, and how under all that flux, there's stability to every community over time. In Anchorage, a city that worried it was temporary realized it was temporary, at least all its buildings and houses and roads. But it was discovering there was something permanent about itself, too. All night at the theater, the character of the stage manager talked to the audience directly, narrating the story of the play, kind of like I've been doing tonight. Now, when the curtain rose on the final act, he came out for his monologue and told them. Now, there are some things we all know, but we don't take them out and look at them very often. We all know that something is eternal, and it ain't houses, and it ain't names, and it ain't earth, and it ain't even stars. Everybody knows in their bones that something is eternal, and that something has to do with human beings. All the greatest people ever lived have been telling us that for 5,000 years, 
And yet, you'd be surprised how people are always losing hold of it. In the end, Jeannie Chance stayed on duty at KENI for 59 hours that weekend. And when things finally calmed down, she sat down to write a letter to her parents in Texas. 